Welcome, 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 everybody. How y'all doing out there? This is the side John. I am your host, Dennis Holmes. I am here with my co-host, Sharon Mullen, the chocolate girl. How's everything, chocolate? Uh, things are doing well in my neighborhood. I'm, I'm loving everything that's going on. Um, you know, I mean, we got a special guest in the building. You know, the, the newest member of the Memphis Grizzlies beat writing team, yes, Michael yes, yes. Cole, is in the house, ladies and gentlemen, and he's yes. the youngest beat writer in NBA in, in the country in the NBA. Youngest beat All writer. Right. All right. Youngin. I love it. I love it. <laughs> What's going on, y'all? Welcome much, to Michael man. Cole. Welcome. Thank you, yeah, man. I, I want to. Uh, I want to definitely give you a shout out, man. Because when I came out Memphis, I ain't even gonna lie. You probably ain't notice it, but I was nervous as hell out Memphis, boy. And I wasn't nervous about the gang violence in Memphis. I was nervous that just little dumb shit was gonna happen to me, like a snake was gonna pop up. You know what I mean? Like you know what I mean? Like uh, you know, um, somebody was gonna steal my luggage. Just little dumb shit. No gang violence. Oh, so, wait, so wait a minute. So you were nervous just about being there, not about right. the event. Like, I've, I've this never, the, just I've being never, there. I've never really traveled by myself. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He came. Mm -hmm. He came to Memphis. Yeah, and I came. And I came to Memphis. And, and uh, let me give another shout out to Miles. Miles from Archer League Sports because he, he's the connection. And I ain't gonna lie, something about Miles, man, he know how to talk that talk. He get anybody on the show. I'll be like, Miles, what you telling people? I got I got a cancer or something. So they come on here, you you get anybody on the show. Like, <laughs> I'm like, what are you telling people out there? I said, I lost a kidney or something. He said, then I'm getting them on here, man. I can get them. Yeah. And I met Philly DMC uh last year during the pandemic. I mean, we talk, we hit it off, man. I've been reading his articles and watching his movements and everything. And, and I'm not gonna lie to you. I, I love everything that's going on with you. And I appreciate you being on this show. But that's so you what know. you so what you telling me is this is Philly DMC. The, I've yeah, been we, knowing you all this time, and you talking about Philly DMC, and I'm just now knowing that this is who you're talking that, about. This is Philly DMC. We named you oh, Philly wow. DMC. I don't know, should I bow or curtsy or Salute. I don't know what to do, but man, you, 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 all I know is you all that. That's all I'm going to say. You all that in a bag of chips. I'm glad to have you on the show. This is, this is great. This is great, Dennis. Thank you so much for bringing him on the show today. Yeah. Philly, Philly DMC, man. He, uh, you would catch him anywhere. And I, and I literally mean anywhere. Like, uh, he had an interview. One of the last interviews I think I've seen with him. He had an interview with Sylvester Stallone. As Sylvester Stallone had, uh, as a matter of fact, tell us about that interview. Tell us about that interview with Sylvester Stallone. Wow. That was one of my last big projects in Philly. I, I went down um, and we, Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone had, he re uh, put out another version of Rocky Four with a, a director's cut. And he had a, a, a premiere showing in Philly uh, on Thursday night, an invite only type event. And um, with a red carpet, and uh, and I believe there were like a couple people from the movie who came out. Then there were some celebrities in the building, uh, some boxers, people from Chicago, uh, L.A., uh, you know, West Coast, all came in. But yeah, I, I got um, I got a couple minutes with him as he uh, he walked in the room and he talked to the media a little bit, and and we talked about you know just the new director's cut, 
that he re-released, uh, I believe last month or two months ago now. But yeah, that was that was dope. That was dope. One of my favorite interviews for sure. Now, what I want to know is, you know, because a lot of people here, they listening, they entertain, they want to know, you know, how did you become the youngest beat writer for the Memphis Grizzlies? You got to let them know exactly where you went to school at to get this, you know, writing and everything down See? fact that you wanted to be See? a journalist. What, what, what I tell you? What I tell you, DMC? What I tell you? Here, here we go. Here we go. Wait a minute. Is Buck Flair, is Buck Flair listening? We got to make sure Buck Flair is listening. Go ahead. University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Uh, that's, that's, that's where I went. That's where I went. Uh, Vol country. Go Vols. All right. That is right. Now, now tell, people just... why, tell people why that means something to you, Dennis. Oh, I'm, a Tennessee, I'm a Tennessee Volunteers fan. Um, Yep, yep. And I've been that I've been that way for a while. I like the football team, the basketball team, man. But the football team, I really love the football team. And I one of my uh goals is to make sure that I get down there to the game and tailgate on the boat. That's one of my goals to go down there and do that. And then make it happen, make it happen. Make sure you go around homecoming time, like in November, first week of November. Okay. Amazing. I'm hitting you up when I get down there. I'll let you know that. Uh, now that I'm in, in Memphis, I'll probably be going to homecoming probably every year. Okay. Every year that I can. Well, you know, I'm on the NBA beat now, so I gotta I gotta factor that in too. About yeah. October. Anytime October comes around, I have to shut that down. But uh, but yep. All that's, right. That's what's up. All right. Now, what was it like going to the University of Tennessee? Man, it was. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. It was different. You know. Uh, it was. It, it was kind of my first experience away from home, so I needed it. And I got that, I got that, uh, you know, that culture shock that people talk about being, you know, uh, a black kid from the south, from the south, from Memphis. And Memphis is all I ever knew. You know, I didn't go to many other places, and you know, I didn't take a lot of uh, trips like that. So Memphis is all I ever knew, and and inner city Memphis is all I ever knew. So I was just around, you know whole lot of black people all the time and and you know that was that was what I knew for the most part so when I got to UT and it was 20,000 plus students uh there and it was I believe like eight percent seven percent black uh kids at that time with most of them coming from Memphis Nashville, and a little sprinkle of like Atlanta it was a culture shock man because it's like now I'm in a classroom and it's either just me or it's two or three of us. And, and you know, it's a bunch of people that don't look like you. And I, I just hadn't had that experience ever, ever before in my life. So um, with that came some, you know, it was it was different, you know, but but you learned that there are some similarities as well with the Southern culture with, you know, we all eat the same food. Uh, we talk similar in a way, um, but but it was it was different. But overall, it was like just in terms of just the business part of it, it was a great, great opportunity for me to go to an SEC school that had a bunch of networking uh, opportunities for me. Whereas like when I was a student, uh, I was able to write for the student newspaper and that put me in rooms with um, some of the best college writers in the South where I, when I would cover football games or basketball games and things like that. And I, you know, I got the, got to really know those people and build those relationships. And I had access to, you know, some top-notch 
equipment like um you know the macbooks and in the in the libraries that we had access to and the uh recording studios where i was able to record my own podcast and you know we had access to all this you know really nice stuff so that was the best part of it um just the the whole lifestyle part uh, it was it was hit and miss you know i met some really great people i'm i made some really really strong relationships at ut it was an adjustment uh for me but but i, I mean it was, it was it was a great four years because it, it helped set me up you know to get where i am now so now what was your uh what was your major while you was there sports journalism sports journalism sports, sports, you didn't handle minor okay so I ended up minoring in, in uh, Africana studies and film studies and uh, film. So basically I didn't plan on minoring in either one, but over the course of my time at UT, you know, I just picked up certain little interesting classes that I'd like to take. Like as, as a journalism major, you have to take uh, what they, how, what do you call it? Like you have to take like a, a Greek studies class, an African studies class, um, a, like a cultural class. And of course I chose African studies, right? Cause you know, most relatable. So I jumped into African studies class and I'm learning all this stuff. I'm like, hold up, I wanna, I wanna take one more of these. And it's like, right. I'm to take just one more. And then my professor was like, well, at this point you only want away from a minor. I was like, well, why not? And then the same thing, uh, with film studies. Uh, I took a regular film studies class that I had to take. And then as part of my journalism, yeah, I took a lot of videography classes. So I took a couple of those and he was like, you only need one more for the minor. So, okay. So I ended up being a double minor just, just by, you know, not trying, but so yeah, that's, that's kind of how it happened for me. You hear that out there kids, he became a double minor on accident. Just to let y'all know that, all right? It became a double minor on accident. Just to let y'all know, go to school. And I and I used to preach, and I, I used to be one of the ones I didn't want to go to school. But now that I'm older, I realize the importance of uh, you know school and studies and everything. Now, who was now when you was in college? Who were some of the athletes that you you interviewed? At UT. At UT. At UT. Let's see. Uh, my freshman and sophomore years, you know, I didn't, I didn't get to to do much like of the the big players you would say, like on the football and basketball, because I didn't get to those sports. You know, I had to, I had to get going just in this in this uh, sports journalism business a little bit, and and you know, kind of get my chops started uh, covering like swimming and diving, and uh, soccer was my first beat. Then I covered baseball, then I covered uh, softball, and then in my junior year was when I finally started to cover football and basketball. So. Uh, Alvin Kamara, uh, Jalen Hurd, um, Josh Dobbs, those guys graduated right before, uh, well, you know, they left right before I got, I got on that job. But um, my first year kind of was, it was at the time, one of Tennessee's worst football seasons. You know, that, it was the year Bush Jones got fired. So that was the year I started covering the football team. Uh, Marquez Callaway is probably the best player that I covered, you know, you ain't, my, you ain't do uh, you ain't do Juwan Jennings. That's why I thought you were that. Juwan, Juwan Jennings, yep. So Juwan Jennings and and Marquez Callaway were like, you know, Mark Juwan was the fan favorite because you know because yeah. he, he the pass. He called yeah. the Mary. He was, you know, he was the tough guy. Um, people just loved Juwan, but um, I'd say Marquez Callaway, who plays wide receiver for the Saints, probably the top receiver option right now. It was 
the, the best receiver that I covered. Outside of uh, Marquez, you had a couple guys on defense that have uh, got to the league. Uh, Emmanuel Mosley, starting defensive back for the uh, 49ers. Yeah. I covered him. And, and a couple more uh, basketball. It was it was a little more, you know, because I the year I covered Tennessee was the year they they went from being picked 13th in the SEC in the preseason to to regular season champs. So Grant Williams, uh, Admiral Schofield, uh, Jordan Bone, um, and let's see, let's see who yeah, Yee's Pond Grizzlies now. Um, all those guys, but Grant Williams is probably the most notable former SEC player of the year. So yeah. That's cool. I thought you interviewed uh Trey Smith. That's what I was thinking. Trey Smith, I did, I did, I did. Yeah. He's uh offensive offensive lineman from um uh the right now he plays for Kansas City Chiefs and Jawan Jennings and Emmanuel Mosley are both on the 49ers. For, right. for those listeners out there. Yeah, right. I do know my team. I, I love my team. Just let y'all know that. All right. uh, I see. I see. Yeah. Um, now, when did you get, you know, when did you finish college? You know, got your degree. Wait, wait, let me, before I ask that, did you have a scholarship? I did. I did. Hey. So, um, it's crazy. Uh, I can go ahead and just tell y'all a story. I'm going to try to go through it real fast. Because uh, going to Tennessee wasn't really my plan. I've told this story a few times. But it's just show you, you know, how things really work in your favor. Um, it's it's one of my, my favorite stories, just like about myself and how I've gotten on this journey. Because when I was in high school, you know, the kids used to take trips to the colleges and stuff like that. And our counselor... Um, at Overton High School uh, presented us the opportunity to go visit the University of Tennessee. I didn't really care too much for Tennessee. You know, growing up a Memphis kid, like I didn't care too much for Tennessee. So it was like, I didn't really, it, my interest in going on that trip was, it was on my birthday week, I can get out of school. And we knew like, it wasn't just a trip for our schools, it was a trip for like the city. So schools around the city would be going. So I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be a lot of girls here. So I get to get out of school. Okay. It's going to yeah. be a lot of girls here. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be my birthday week. <laughs> Everybody end up singing happy birthday to me on the bus. So, you know, it played out just how I wanted it to play out. <laughs> but but basically, when I went on that trip, we visited the campus and, you know, did all the things that they do on the tour. And when I tell you, I didn't remember anything from it because I didn't plan on going to UT, right? It was it was just not on my at the top of my list. Uh Ole Miss was a was a big option for me. Mississippi State was another option for me. And then there were local schools like MTSU and uh some HBCUs that I wanted to go play baseball at because I played baseball in high school as well. But journalism was, you know, my focus. Like with some of those uh other schools, I didn't choose them because the journalism program uh, wasn't up to par, but Ole Miss is where I was going. So on graduation day in May, May of 29, no, 2015, May of 2015, I walked across the stage and they said Michael Cole and they said University of Mississippi, as in I was going to Ole Miss. And if you go back and listen to it, you just hear me walk across the stage, you're going to hear University of Mississippi. So it was a little bit after my graduation, I had a friend uh, named Stu, Stu Boyd, who was going to University of Tennessee. And he was like telling me about this scholarship that he had got. And he was like, you didn't get it? Cause we both applied to UT, you know, in like November. And he was like, you didn't get it? And I was like, no. 
So what happened for me is I got accepted to UT in October or November of, of 2014, but they accepted me to go through like a summer program. And, you know, it's my last year in high school and I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to go there that bad. <laughs> I'm going to a summer program before I, so it's, it's like, nah, I'm, I'm good on Tennessee. So I just threw them off. I never thought about going to Tennessee again. And I started pursuing all these other colleges. So fast forwarding back to May after graduation, uh, he says, I got this scholarship full ride. And I'm like, and he's like, you should meet the requirements. Like, you know, we, we're close friends. So, you know, like my ACT score and my grades look like, he was like, you definitely should meet these requirements. And I'm like, huh? So I look at the, he sends me the scholarship. So basically it's one of those scholarships where if you just Google Tennessee scholarships, you won't find it. You, you gotta do, you gotta do a little digging. So, so he tells me you should meet the requirements. So I look up the scholarship and it's like, okay, grades, okay. This, okay, single parent household, uh-huh, uh-huh. Hold up, let me file for an appeal because they accepted me into a summer program. So I, I go back, I file for the oh. appeal. I file for the appeal uh, probably end of May. And at this time, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to hear back from Ole Miss from my final like offer of how much money I was gonna get. I knew it wasn't gonna be a full ride, but they were gonna give me some money to go there. And it was like, um, that's where I was planning on going. It was only an hour and a half from home. So it's like, that's perfect. But Tennessee was six hours away. So basically it was like the first or second week in July. My appeal uh, got overturned and I got a full ride to go to UT. So I didn't get to get the full uh, orientation experience I had to go to like a quick, like one day orientation because, you know, and I had to just get get whatever classes I can get because it was like middle to end of July and it happened real fast. I had like a trunk party two weeks later and I was gone. So, yep, that's that's kind of the backstory on uh, how I got to UT. Now that, now that is cool that you waited, got that full scholarship, that, that is cool. Now, uh, when did you end college? Was it what, 2019? May, May 2019 was, was my final semester. And so by that time, you were interning at other places, right? you know, to try to get a sports journalist job. Now, what are these places you were interning at? Well, in college, man, I worked hard. I, I, I interned uh, my junior year at the Tri-State Defender in Memphis. So, and, and I came back to Memphis my junior year where I was able to uh, help with the Grizzlies draft coverage. And then, um, and then by the time my senior year, winter break semester came, I was able to cover a few Grizzlies games and eventually the All-Star game in February of my senior year uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. So I did that, but I, I just, I put myself out there by, by going to all the local papers in Knoxville. So. You had the uh, the New Sentinel, which is the, the the big paper in in Knoxville, and then you have surrounding the surrounding area where you have the Maryville Daily Times, which is probably 20 miles away. Then you have Rome County News, which is probably 30 miles away. And I'd get in my Honda Accord, my old one Honda Accord, drive uh, 45 minutes to the middle of Yeehaw Country, where there ain't nobody that looked like me, on a Friday night or on a Wednesday afternoon to cover a, a middle school basketball game where I'd be one of probably the only other black people in gym probably be a couple people that were on the court or in their parents. So, you know, like, um, I just put myself out there like that. I think my senior year, I interned at, at four places. 
where I, uh, I was working for, the, I had four jobs. I was working for the student newspaper. I uh, was working for two of the local papers, Maryville Daily Times and the Rome County News when I was just, you know, do high school and middle school coverage for them. And I was uh, doing, uh, working for Win Radio in Memphis, Tennessee, a radio uh, that, that let me have my own show, Ice Cold Sports News. So basically, whereas my senior year, um, that's when I got my big break. That's when I got my really big internship that has really plateaued me into, you know, the opportunities that I've gotten in my career. It's called uh, Sports Journalism Institute. It's the top, without a doubt, the top uh, minority uh, opportunity, the top opportunity for minority students and um, in the journalism industry. And for my money, it's the top, it's the top journalism internship out there, period. So basically what uh, SJI does is they select 12 to 15 of the best college journalists in the countries uh, from, from minority backgrounds. And they place us all um, at Walter Cronkite School of Journalism at, at Arizona State. And we go down there for a week boot camp where we just digging deep into the writing, into, into journalism, into broadcast journalism, into every section of journalism it is. And then they section us off into, into internships for the rest of that summer. And my internship was Sports Illustrated. So awesome. yeah, that was, that was amazing. So I went to New York City and once again, kid from the South, never left Memphis until, you know, I mean, I never left the South until then. That was my first everything, first flight, first all of that. So I went to New York and uh, yeah, I was in New York for two and a half months. Great experience. I was in the city, I was in Manhattan. Uh, I would walk 20 minutes to work where I was surrounded by all these, you know, people who, who, you know, New York is just so fast paced and everyone's in a hurry, but it was Sports Journalism Institute. It, it really gives kids a great opportunity. I, I always uh, recommend it to a lot, a lot of uh, journalists in college who are coming up because especially in, in sports, because it's, it's the best opportunity out there. And just, you get to meet, like, I mean, when at the time I got to meet Leon Carter, who at the time was the vice president of ESPN, he's at the Athletic now. Uh, Greg Lee, who's at the Boston Globe now, who was uh, a managing editor at the Athletic at the time I was there. And then Sandy Rosenbush, who is one of the pioneer women uh, in the industry, who's been in the industry for a while at ESPN. And those were the three mentors that were put in place for us at SJI. And best opportunity out there. I mean, I got selected for it. And it's crazy because my junior year, I applied, didn't get it. Reapplied, kept working, uh, took a few more opportunities my senior year. Like I said, had four jobs, reapplied my senior year and got it. And, and I interned at Sports Illustrated. One of the, that was the coolest internship I feel like you can get um, right out of college. Oh, I love that. that, now, that now that is now that is cool. Now that's a real cool story. Now, here's a... Now, how did you get from there to the Philadelphia Inquirer? Man, it's a, it's a, it's a no people business. You know, you gotta, you gotta know people, but you, you know, you gotta put in the work, and then you gotta meet people and know people. So, um, like I said, Sports Journalism Institute really put me in in some really good places. So basically, those three people that I just named, they know everyone in the business pretty much. So when we're there for that week at camp. They're bringing in uh, the Stephen A's, the Michael Wilbons, um, and just, I mean, so many. I, I, 
I don't even want to name, but it's it's so many. That's the level of 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 you know people in the journalism industry that they're bringing in. And basically, when you meet all these people, then they bring in the editors who are in hiring positions and things like that. So basically, once my internship ended with Sports Illustrated, I went home for about a month, you know, just to weigh everything over, see how, what my next opportunity was going to be. Then I got a call one day um, from uh, one of my editors who was at uh, Sports Journalism Institute. It's like, what do you think about Philadelphia? What do you think about moving to Philadelphia? And I was like, the Inquirer? Like, the Philly Inquirer? Out of college? Like, that's a, you know, Philly's the number four media market in the country. So I'm like, the Inquirer? I was like, let's let's go. What what I got to do? So he, so he, he um, basically, the Inquirer were looking for, you know, a young sports journalist um, to fill their fellowship position. And um, that's how I got, that's how I got there. So basically, um, I, I met with them. They flew me up there for like the, the, the meetings and the interviews and, and all of that good stuff. And they told me, uh, go back home and, and get settled in and uh, get back up here. And I was so excited. I went home for just like a week, just packed all my stuff up, went back home for like a week, flew back up to Philly. And, you know, the rest is history, as they say. But, but that's, that's kind of how it started at the Inquirer. It started as a fellowship. And it was it was crazy because, um, you know, they were they were kind of a little hesitant in a way, I think, on, uh, you know, just that opportunity for for a kid really young. So I think it was like the fellowship is a two year fellowship, but they said, we'll see how the first year goes and then we'll extend your fellowship to the second year. And I think I got there what the end of September and it was January. It, it didn't take the whole year. It was January. They were like. We extended you. So I didn't have to worry about that. And once the two-year fellowship ended, I got extended to full time. That's what's up. That's definitely what's up, man. Your hard, hard work pays off, baby. And I love the fact that you came to Philly. And um most definitely. Like I said, I, I got to meet you. That was that was beautiful. Now, what was your what was your best article that you wrote? Ooh. Man, the best article that I wrote. I gotta give you like two or three. It's that's that's tough. Okay, so I'll do one. I, I, I'll say- I, No, no, I, you, could, you could do the two or three. Hold up, go ahead, go ahead. So one that, I, one that I really like comes off the top of my head is a story that I did on, on Rasheed Jordan, um, former five-star basketball recruit in Philly. Um, he's well-known in like North Philly. They used to call him like the Prince of North Philly. Uh, he went to St. John's, had NBA talent, and you know got in some troubles. And, and got arrested, went, went to jail, I believe, went to prison for like two and a half to three years. And he got out of prison in like December of 2019. And I believe it was a little earlier than that, but I found out in December, 2019 from some people, I actually was in an Uber and they were like, man, Rasheed Jordan's out, Rasheed Jordan's out. So I jump on it quick, you know, I, I make some calls and um, I get in touch with Rasheed Jordan and he's like, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to get back to the highest level of basketball. He's trying to get back over, you know, overseas and, and get professional basketball opportunities. So basically that was my story. Um, it was it was special for me to, because, you know, someone like Rasheed Jordan is someone that, you know, in national media, he gets stepped on when he makes that big mistake and you never hear about him again unless it's from, you know, the negative perspective. 
And, and, you know, it was, it was good for me to cover all of that. Whereas I, I told the full story, whereas yes, he was arrested. He was in, you know, a bad position. Um, you know, it was a, it was a robbery and, you know, he spent this time in, in prison, but I wanted to tell this, um, I wanted to open readers up to another side of him. Whereas he spent all this time in prison. Uh, what were his thoughts during that? And um, when he got out, he started mentoring kids in the community and he won, he started back playing basketball. And, and so, so that was a special story for me. Um, I wrote about Rashid Jordan. Uh, one more that I really liked was uh, Reese. I wrote a story about Reese Whitley. Reese Whitley. So he's a kid uh, from Philly, a black kid. I think he's like 6'6". Six, six. So you're probably thinking basketball. But no, Reese Whitley is a swimmer. And us black people in the, in the community, we know... Uh, Black people and swimming don't mix like peanut butter and jelly. So, so um, I mean, you know, right. I, I learned I learn about Reese Whitley and he's at the, uh, he's at uh, the University of California because you know, um, in swimming in the NCAAs, all the best schools are out in the uh, Pac-12 pretty much like Cal, Stanford, uh, Arizona, okay. you, right, UCLA, like most of the best swimming schools are all the way over there. So kids from the mm -hmm. East Coast, usually go all the best ones at least go all the way over there. So he's at Cal and I get this opportunity to write about a black kid who's 21 about to uh, chase it, go for an opportunity in the Olympics. And I believe when the next Olympics roll around in 2024, I'm gonna be telling people like, I wrote about this kid in, in 2020 when he was in college and he was, you know, going, so he's a two, he, he, he's in the 200 meter. He comes from Philly. And it just was an interesting story on how a kid from his background got into swimming, became really good at it because most kids six, 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 seven from a, you know, a black background, they're probably getting persuaded to play basketball. Right. But he's like, like, I bet people, you know, he was telling me how people always come up to me and like, what team you play for? He's like, Oh, I swim. I swim at Cal. Like, so, so that one, that one was a fun one. Um, away from the cultural side, I was trying to think of something else, just away from like the cultural stories that I did, like with those two, um, I did some fun stuff. I'd say when I went in, uh, Rodney McLeod's house, uh, for the Eagle safety. So I went over to his house and we did, we did a, a, a fun story on, um, you know, just he and his wife's, uh, foundation and the, and the fashion and, um, uh, and the things that they do, you know, for the community. I believe um, yeah, he does a lot for the community. Yeah, yeah. He he put together an event that helped over a hundred thousand kids just last a uh, couple weeks ago. A sneaker ball that had the big names there. Everyone was there. Like it was it was pretty dope. So I'd say going to Rodney McLeod's house is def definitely up there. And then those those two stories I felt like were powerful stories where it's like you probably want a certain person to write these kind of stories so they can correctly, you know, just 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 pinpoint um, the story that we're trying to tell. That's definitely good. I, I was, uh, I've, I've seen all those. One of my favorite that I seen you do was actually um, Stephen Fulton, Cool Boy Steph. That was yeah. one of my favorite. One of my favorites too. Yep. Yeah, that was one of my favorite interviews right there. Um, now, as, a, as my fault, I went a little bit too fast. At, now, with you being from Memphis, right? Yep, yep. And in Tennessee and all that together. Yeah. How yep. is it that you're not a Grizzlies fan, 
nor are you a Tennessee Titan fan. Man, okay. You got to understand, uh, for one, I'll start with the Tennessee Titans. You got a lot of the Titans fans in Memphis. Like, don't get me wrong. It's a, it's a lot of Titans fans in Memphis, but Nashville and Memphis, we're we not best friends. You know, we not we don't hug each other like, yeah, we all for Tennessee. It's always Memphis thinks it's the best city in Tennessee. Nashville thinks, ah, oh, we the best city in Tennessee. And when, when I went to Knoxville, you know, you had the people from Memphis, you had the people from Nashville, and that's how it is. Like, um, so with the Titans being in Nashville, it's like, yeah, uh, you know, you got Titans fans. You got a lot of Titans fans here, but I, this isn't like Titans 2.0. Memphis isn't Titans like Nash. It's not like Nashville. You have a lot of Cowboys fans. You have a big wide diversity. So that's how that happened. And then being a Suns, um, you know, fan, just like, that was just a, like a growing up, you know, Steve Nash and the Grizzlies didn't get here, get to Memphis until around 2000. So, um, yeah, of course, that'll be different now. You know, I work in NBA covering the team, you know, it's completely different. But uh, but yeah, but um, basically just growing up, the Suns were the most fun team to watch in the NBA for little kids. Because, you know, when you're a little kid, you're just looking for that flash. Like 10 years from now, you're going to see a lot of 18-year-olds, 21-year-olds that are big Kansas City Chiefs fans because of Patrick Mahomes and Golden State Warriors fans because of Steph Curry. Like, that's, that's all kids like and that's how it was for me i remember like i legitimately remember half of my classroom in sixth grade being suns fans because of steve nash and amari sodomite now you know that as they got bad that went away but yeah that's how those two scenes happen memphis only has it's not like philly if i would have grew up in philly i probably would have you know uh been a fan of all those pro teams or you know some of the other bigger cities memphis has one team it's an nba team and the titans the titans aren't memphis's team like you got Titans fans here, but that's not our team. Yeah, because see, Memphis and Knoxville on the opposite ends of the state. Oh, then Nash and then Nashville's in the middle. Right. And it's like Nashville think they better than everybody. So nobody claims Nashville. It's really, it's really interesting. That's what what I was told by somebody from Tennessee. Yeah, yeah it's like it's like a rivalry. You got East Tennessee kind of, I don't know. I feel like East Tennessee is kind of like their own little bubble. Like East Tennessee is kind of weird. I'm not going to lie. Like, you know, going to school over there, it, it's kind of like they, they kind of got their own little thing going over there. But, East, I mean, Knoxville, taking out Knoxville. Knoxville is, is – is, I like Knoxville. But East Tennessee as a whole, it's it's, it's kind of weird. But um, Nashville it's, – it's, it's Appalachia. It's it, the Appalachian Mountains over there. So Yeah. And then, then, then you know, Nashville, like you said, they, they think they're better – and Memphis is like, nah, we, we better. So it's like, <laughs> it's a little rivalry thing. Like I, I just saw it and it's always been like that, so. My fault. <clears throat> now you spent some time in Philadelphia yep. and uh, you know, Sharon always asks where, where's the best place to go eat the cheesesteak, right? Yep, so yep. now I, I would say some places, but you know, being the fact that you're an out-of-towner, yeah. how about you tell some places that you went to go eat at in Philadelphia that you say, oh, this is a good spot for this and this is a good spot for that? Speaking my language, man. Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> Ishka Bibbles. Ishka Bibbles is, you know, that's your, that's, that's one of my favorites. Um, I, I, Ishka, Ishka Bibbles? Bibbles? Ishka Bibbles. Which is Ishka Bibbles? 
No, it's ish kabibbles. Ish kabibbles. Like ish. Like Tokyo ish. Ish kabibbles. Oh, oh, ish kabibbles. Okay. Yeah, right. it's, it's on South Street. It's on the. Uh... <laughs> yep. So ish kabibbles is a top option. And and one of my like ones that you probably want, like if you Google top cheesesteaks in Philly, this one ain't going to pop up. But but like people people know in Philly, like Max's in North Philly, that's that's my spot. Um, I went to Ishkabibbles probably more than anyone because Ishkabibbles was close to where I worked almost in a way. But Max's is where I went. Like when I was like hungry, it was like, I got to get the best cheesesteak right now because it's all the way on the other side of Philly in North Philly over there. But I I had to get it. So Max's, Ishkabibbles are probably my top two. D'Alessandro's, you know, that's a that's another one that I that I really like. Um, I'd say those were probably my favorite three that I liked. Um, yeah, Ishka Bibbles, Maxis, and Dallas Andros. Wow. Oh. Yeah, did you have any I, other I favorite? See, I see Dallas Andros on the list, but I don't see Maxis. You're right. I yeah. do see that on the list. Maxis, uh, <coughs> Maxis got a picture of Kevin Hart outside of it. Yep, it's a mirror. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Kevin Hart, uh, when he one of the movies he did, he went into Max's and bought everybody cheesesteaks. Oh, wait a minute. Hold up. Max's is, is number seven. There you go. Yeah. On, on Germantown Avenue? Yep, that's it. Yeah, that's number seven. So it made the list. There it is. All right. I have to check that out when I finally come to Philly. <laughs> yeah, so what were some of the other spots in Philadelphia that you, you know, you went and you hung out at? I seen you playing basketball at a couple of spots. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, man, most of most of the places I went were work related, um, because that was that was a big part of my schedule. That was like five, six days out of the week. So, um, but playing basketball, uh, I played at a couple of the parks. Like, uh, I believe it's how do you, how do you say it? It's Tuscan Tustin Park where Kobe Bryant used to play in West Philly. Um, so actually, see, I didn't get to do this story, but it, it's in the work. They're, re, they're about to redo that park uh, over there. I think it's like 60th Street. Um, they're about to redo that park. And, you know, they're going to put some Kobe Bryant, you know, inspirational things over there. And it's going to be done by Kobe Bryant's foundation. So it's going to look real nice. I hate I didn't get to see that through. But, um, but yeah, that's where I used to play at a lot. But when I played with a lot of the pro players, you know, I played ball with them a lot. Uh, we'd be at a lot of the uh, gyms. We'd go to the Sixers G League gym out in Delaware. Um I go down to UPenn, play over there, and um, you know do things like that when I was playing ball. But of course, you know, I went to all the. I went to Wells Fargo a lot. I went to uh, Citizens Bank, the uh, baseball park. Went there, Lincoln Financial. I finally got to get there about three times this this uh, football season. So those were some of my favorite spots. Um, and then boxing gyms all across the city. I mean, I I was in. Man, I probably went into 15, 10, 15 boxing gyms just everywhere, you know. Um, and they be, at, they be at some of the weirdest places, right? And you you, <laughs> want to be in the middle of North Philly, um, like right next to the train station. And then want to be right next to a, a, a car shop in the middle of West Philly. And, and you, it's, yeah, but, but I, I mean, I love them, though. It's really a big part of the culture. Now, um, hold on, hold up. Your boy Jerry Hurt say, tell him how me and Fifi beat you on 60th Street. Jerry Hurt? Oh. 
Man, I, I'm I, I'm not about to. Uh, he said so. Basically, I I I what happened? What happened was what happened was you know they 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 came up here. We 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 hooped and whatnot, and and this actually was around the time where you know I was I was getting interest in the Memphis job, so so I was expecting a call from them. Right, we were playing 21. Mind you, I had we're playing we're playing basketball going to 21. I had about 15 points. I think Jerry had around 15, 16, 17 points. And uh, Fife had around the same. Like, all our scores were right in that same range. I had to go sit down, and I had to go, you know, I had to make sure that I, that I was going to um, not miss that call from Memphis. And he said, did you want us to keep playing? And I said, yeah, go ahead. And he won the game while I was waiting on the phone call. But it was, you know, some little stuff that happened in between then, you know, with, with his little cheap <laughs> ways, and, and they tried to call a travel on me. And, yeah, and I, uh, Jay, Jay said you got mad. Yeah, <laughs> they tried to call travel on me, man. You know, I, I ain't appreciate that. Oh, but, man. Yeah, that, that's, that, that sounds like that was a funny story. Now, yeah. now, what was it like working for the Philadelphia Antwoord? Man, it's dope. Chance of a lifetime. Um, you you just you don't get a lot of opportunities uh like that, you know like uh the resources were amazing. Um, I mean, I have I was I had my own show that you know we were really just getting starting to crank up because when I got bumped to full time I got a new role right I started um sports culture role so I was starting to really do some real cool stuff and we got we got gave me my own show. Uh man, I had great great coworkers like um. That was, you know, a thing, you know, in a big newsroom like that, you wonder, like, will you just, will you get drowned out? But that wasn't the case. I mean, it was people from all sections of the newsroom that had nothing, didn't know much about sports that would reach out to me and, and offer, you know, just their assistance any way they can help. So, so that was dope. And then just the opportunities, man, like, like, I, it was the first time I really just got to travel to work, like, right before the pandemic shut down. Um, I took two trips back to back. I went to DC for a basketball tournament in March. And then I left straight from DC, didn't even stop in Philly, straight from DC to Brooklyn for a basketball tournament at the Barclays Center. So it's just like opportunities like that. man. it's like, you know, I, that was my first time just getting to travel to work like that. And, and um, man, the inquiry was great to me. Like it really, you know, I got to work with some of the best writers in the business period. And, and, and the Enquirer has produced some of those, you know, alums of the Enquirer, some of the biggest people in the, in the, uh, in the business right now. And it's, I don't think I could have asked for like a better opportunity uh, coming out of college. I don't think it could be any better than that. That's, that's definitely great to hear. Um, and so you're in Memphis, you get the call from the Memphis Grizzlies and they say they want you as they beat writer. Now, how did you, how did you know to apply for it? That's what I want to know. Uh, it was it was commercial appeal in Memphis. Um, I don't even know if I, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but I'm gonna say it. Uh, oh I'm, shit! Hopefully I'll oh, get. It. Lord. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm chill. I'm chill. But yeah, basically, no, yeah. basically <laughs> what happened? <laughs> what happened was um, they were interested. You know, they were they were highly interested in me. So. Um, you know, we were a couple, um, you know, gouges my interest, and 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 you know, 
that's that's kind of how it happened, right? They um a kid from Memphis, and it goes back to the networking things I was talking about. Um, people were saying my name to them, which you know means a lot to me because um, you know, I work I work hard, I try to work real hard, and and that's that's my goal, right? You know, like I don't I don't want to have to go out here like, hey, hey, what about me? I I want this opportunity, or I want that opportunity, I want you know, people to see the work that I'm doing and say, let's go get him, you know, and that's kind of how it came together because. At the end of the day, you know, at the Enquirer, I did, it wasn't like I was looking to leave, you know. Um, everything for me was great at the Enquirer. I just got a new role, and I was put in a position where um, I had a role that no one's ever had at the Enquirer before. And, come, you know, sports culture, that was that was completely different. And I had just the freedom to, to work across all the sports. Like, it's a cool job. Anybody would love that job. So, um when Memphis called, you know, I had to really do some thinking. When the commercial appeal called, I had to really uh, do some thinking. I wasn't initially like just sold on uh, leaving. It took, it took, it was a month, probably a month and a half process. Whereas I was like, I'm trying to, you know, make sure I make the right decision. You know, it was, it was definitely choosing between two really good opportunities, but it was scary at the same time because it's like I need to weigh every little small minor detail just so I can make sure I choose the right thing. But yeah, that's, that's kind of, um, that was kind of my thought process. It was for a while. I didn't, I really didn't tell anyone about the opportunity at all. A lot of people didn't know except people in the business. And, you know, I had to handle it like that, but in a way it was like, man, a lot of people in Philly, you know, I didn't really get to have like too many going away things because like by the time I made my decision, it was time for me to go. But um, it was cause I kept, I kept it to myself. I really just, it was a tough man. It was, toughest decision I've ever made in my life. You know, going to choosing the college was so much easier than this and every other um, life changing decision that I've ever had to make. But this was literally, it was two really, really good opportunities. And it, it was so tough, man. I, I really, I can't say how tough it was because I really, I learned a lot through that process and just how to make those type decisions. Because like I said, I never wanted to leave here. I, I planned on being in Philly for years. Like I, I just got. I, I did plan on having you for about five more years. I had some big projects, like I was working on for next year. Like we were working on some stuff. I feel like that would win some some national awards. Like, yeah. and that was that was my plan. But you know, certain opportunities come present themselves. It's like let me think, and eventually I got. You know, it was like okay, Memphis is uh, where I want to be. Uh, that's that's what's up. Um, that's this is my last question that I'm I'm a uh, I'm a kick it to Sharon. But um, do you travel with the team as a beat writer? Okay, um, not with the team, but you know the commercial appeal will. But, but basically, yeah, I'll be going to a lot of the away games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm probably not going to go to every game, but I'm going to go make to. A lot of make sure you come to the one in Philadelphia. That's the only thing I was saying. I'll be, there, I'm gonna be at that game. January, I believe it's January 28, 26. Oh man, I'm, I'm already there. Yeah, I'm already letting people know. Yeah, I'm gonna be at that game. I'll be there for sure. Hey, wait a minute. Do y'all play the Hornets? I need to look at the schedule. Do y'all play Charlotte? Play. Yep. I, 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 plan on, I plan on coming to Charlotte too. That's. I need I, to get to Charlotte so I can meet you in person. That's mm-hmm. fair. Hey, the, uh, the, the guy Alonzo said congratulations. Oh, I, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's yeah. My God, Alonzo. Alonzo. He's a writer too? No, no. That's one of my boys I grew up with. Like my. Oh, okay. Awesome, awesome. Okay, Sam. 
It's my turn. Okay. You had some great questions though, Dennis. I'm just, I'm just all in. I'm like, eh, I didn't want to go. But um, listen, you you strike me as a person, you're very careful when you make your decisions. And I really, really respect that. And in journalism, being a journalist, I know you really have to give some thought to your decisions before you make a move because the market is so competitive right. and journalists can easily come and go by making one misstep. Right. I've seen it happen. And I can tell that you, it's like you have maturity in the game, although you haven't been in the game that long. Oh, and you. I just wanted to tell you first, before I even start my questions, that that's what I get from you, just from the things that you have said. And I respect that so tremendously. I really, really do. And how careful you make your decisions. <clears throat> is this how you make decisions in general? Or is this primarily what you know you have to do for your career? But in general, do you take time? Do you seek advice at all? Or do you just process things internally mainly? Or how do you do that as a you know, as, as a person individually, how do you process decision? Uh, I'm a, I'm a big, big critical thinker. So yeah, I, that's how I handled that process is how I handle a lot of my big, just, and just general, just everyday decisions that, that I feel like any decision that I feel like can change your life. It, I, I'm really, really careful with, and the older I get, the more I learn that it's not always like, choosing a college or a decision like, you know, choosing my next job. It's it's smaller. It's something like, oh, do I want to do radio? Do I want a TV? Or do I want to do sports writing? Looking back on it at the time, I wasn't thinking about that. Like, oh my God, like, which one is it going to be? It was just, you know, I just ended up gravitating more towards writing. And that's how it happened. So, but basically, yeah, that's, that's pretty much how I am with most of my decisions, uh, I'm 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 very big on perspective thinking as well. Like I, I try to, uh, I I talk to a lot of people about that. Whereas like, you know, I try to get a lot of different perspectives because you can talk to one person who's older, and and just you know just throughout my decision making process, um, just with this decision and even more, you kind of get a sense a lot of times, and this is not always the case, but more times just from my experience, when I talk with a lot of older people, they have more of a, a how do I word it? Kind of like, you have, to, you have to grind your way through it. You have to, you know, work your, work your way through it. You got to go through this in order to get to this. Right. And with a lot of the younger people that I talk to, they may say, I don't think it's a way around that, you know, let's, let's, um, Try, they try want to, the shortcut. They exactly. want the shortcut through. Let's just be honest. They really do. Yeah, that's, but but I can tell you're not like that. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm real. I'm real, man. Is with this decision in particular. Like, I let's. I'll just go through this for example. Like, I probably talked to maybe 25 people in the industry. Uh, maybe a little bit less because I tried. You know, I kept it close to the vest. Like, it was only people that I feel like I could trust because you know I didn't want it to get out there but maybe a little bit less I say 20 but it was it was mainly you know talked to a lot of younger people that I knew really well you know just from you know previous internships and in, in SJI and things like that then I talked to some of my uh, older mentors in the business and then I seeked 
opinion from a couple people outside of the business because I wanted that perspective too from someone who's outside of the journalism business who doesn't know much about journalism. Like, what would they think about a big career decision where, you know, like you said, one wrong decision and you mean it could, you know, it could be bad. So, I mean, I went, I went through it real, I, I just, I was real extensive with it. I mean, but I kept it close to the vest and that's how I am with, a, you know, a lot of my decisions, you know, I, I try to try to seek different perspectives because, you know, uh, sometimes my perspective is, is I see something one way and then I talk to someone older and it's like, you know what? I never thought about it like that. Now, let me, let, let me think about that side of it a little more and compare it to what I think. Then I talk to someone younger and they may bring something else. Like, I didn't think about that either. Then I just rethink about all those things, collaborate a little bit. And then I probably go back to those people again and, and say, look, this is where I'm at now. And, and yeah, that's in, in, a, in some prayer as well. You know, I definitely, you know, just pray my way through those decisions too. But, but that's, yeah, I'm a critical thinker. Like I try to try to weigh. And I, like I told my mom, for example, cause I didn't talk to my mom about this decision a lot. Right. Like you would think, you know, I've talked to my mom a lot and I, I talked to my mom in the beginning. Like I told her, you know, I got this opportunity. We talked a little bit about it and I was like, all right, next thing you probably gonna hear is my decision. You know, like I just that's how that's how I was with this process. And how, how did she feel about that? Did she say, why didn't you? Or did she say, okay, I get it. I get I get uh DeMichael. I because I'm sure that's probably what she called you. She knows I, I get DeMichael. I know how she, he processes and so I'm good with that. Yeah, she knows me better than anybody. And she knows how, you know, like she was gonna hear my decision first and all that. So so yeah, she was she was mm. uh, She's cool with, with, she knows, you know, at the end of the day, like she said, she trusts my decision making. So that's um, great. Sounds yeah. like you guys have a great relationship. For sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. That's good. Which, which usually you do when you raised by a single mom, you was talking about being raised by a single mom. Right. And, right. you know, I'm, I was a single parent too, with my son, with my son. So when I meet other young men who were raised by single moms, I feel drawn to you like I have a special connection. I look at you like I look at, think about my son. And if you, if you had any advice to give someone, a young man who was raised by a single mom who may not be sure of what they want to do in life. They don't know, they're, they're whatever age. They could be 18, they could be 25, they could be 28, they could be 35, whatever the age is. And they're not quite sure what direction they want to go get, you know, they may be even older than you. What kind of advice would you give them? I'd say um, when you're in that position, usually when you come from, you know, like a single parent household, sometimes there's pressure, you know, uh, there's pressure to, to be that one that, oh, um, I want to do this for uh, my mom or my dad. Uh, or you know opportunities that you may or may not have gotten growing up and there's that pressure to you know really uh speed up that process i'll say two things one uh go at your own pace um especially in this era social media era everyone's posting their achievements accomplishments and it can get draining and you talk about you know someone 35 can say man he's he's 22 23 and he's ahead of me but you can't look at it like that, you know, or someone uh, 18 could say, oh, he's 21. I want to be where he's at when I'm 21. Can't really look at it like that either. You know, like you have to go at your own pace. You have to understand 
your race is not going to be at the same speed as the next person. That's the main thing I try to tell people. That's the main thing I try to tell. I, I have to remind myself too. Like I'm going at my own speed. I'm my own competition. And, and that's the most important thing. And the other thing that I want to add to that is when you talk about coming from that, that single uh, background is with that pressure is you have to do what you want to do. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. there's pressure to want to impress your mom, or if it's a single parent and it's your dad, want to impress your dad because they wanted, they always uh, thought you were going to do this thing, or you know, they say, oh yeah, he's going to, uh, he all, he loves animals, he's going to be a veterinarian one day, or oh, he loves football, he's going to be a football player, and, you, and you're 23, 24, 25, you're still trying to impress your parents, and you're like, man, my mom always saw me doing, no, you, you can't, because you're not going to have fun that way, right? You're not going to enjoy it, and I think um, the biggest thing we have to have to accept in this journey is you you have to do something that you enjoy you have to do something um or at least want to do something where it's like um uh, it doesn't really feel like work like that's the goal right so um that feed, it feeds your soul yeah that's so, the way i express it is i say it feeds your soul right right so you you combine mm -hmm. those things because sometimes when you do your passion you kind of go you're gonna it takes a little bit longer than probably a quicker opportunity where you could be making, you know, some decent money, but it's like 750 every morning. You, you're just now getting up to get to your 830 job. And you're like, oh, uh, like, you know, so I say, you know, follow your dreams, follow your passion, just, you know, do your research and whatever that is, meet people in that area and go at your own pace. Don't look at the next person and say, they're already here. I want to be here. Say, you know what? This is my journey. I'm trying to get this step done by this age, this step done by this month, this step done by this time and go at your own speed. And, and that's what I try to do. And, and that's a big part of it. That, that keeps you grounded. And like you said, that, that process will feed your soul. Do you have any, you were talking, you mentioned the pressure that parents can sometimes put on these. Yeah, I'm sticking with, especially the young men, but the young women too. Right, right. What do you have any advice for the parents that unintentionally, I'm sure, do this because right. they they just want so much, you know, more for this child. Right. You, that's how we do when we have yeah, right. children. Uh, what advice do you have? Any advice for the parents? That's a good question because, I mean, I think a lot of times it's good for the parents to you know you you want the best out of your child, so you you know you kind of push them. Um, to those opportunities but um, I think as a parent you have to really learn what's your child's passion you know um, sometimes as parents I feel like parents have what they think is is good for their kids and what you think is good for your kid might be completely different than what your kid has in mind and you know all this can go back to personal experience for me so growing up when I was really younger uh, me my younger brother and my cousin stayed together. My cousin was a couple years younger than my brother. My brother was 16 months younger than me. So we all were, you know, in like a three, four year range, real close together. And they were, you know, they love cartoons, like normal kids, right? You know, um, we get out of school, they want to watch cartoons, they want to watch Curse the Cowley Dog and all the Cartoon Network stuff. Me, right. I wanted to put my TV on ESPN. 
I wanted to go watch, you know, football after school. So, so basically, you know, we all shared a room. All three of us were in a room together and, you know, it was just, it was, it was one TV and I think at some point we had two TVs in there, but basically they wanted to watch cartoons and I didn't want to watch them. So what my mom would do sometimes is I'd go in my mom's room and she put the TV on sports in there. And, you know, it's kind of like, like in that way, like his passion is a little bit different, you know, that's what he likes to do. Uh, same thing with sports. Um, you know, I love playing sports. Um, growing up, my, my, my younger brother, he, he gravitated towards that a little bit more when he was, um, in high school, but he wasn't into those, you know, just as much. So it's like, you have to really, um, learn what exactly does your child want over what exactly do you want for them? Cause you know, when they're born, you, you know, you say stuff like, Oh, look at him. He's, he, he's, so he got some long legs. He might be a basketball player. He's going to be a track star and you know, stuff like that, but you got to make sure you don't put that pressure on them. And sometimes, you know, kids can feel like, man, you know, they're letting their mom down if they don't do this. So they letting their mom down when in reality as a parent, but you know, a kid doesn't think like this, but when in reality, a parent wants you to do what's best for you and what, what, um, you know, what's best for you, they'll be happy with. But as a kid, you feel like you've heard something for so long about, oh, did you uh see this basketball player? You play just like him or, you know, little things like that where it can, it can get to a kid and it builds up in the head. And now it's all about impressing the parent. So you just gotta be, you know, just, I say careful with um, just those words and make sure you just, just learn what, what you're and that, you know, for a kid that changes a lot, right? Like I have friends right. who went to college who started off in journalism like me and ended up doing something completely different by the time we graduated. Mm -hmm. So you have to be flexible to that. I know like there were a couple kids who were like, oh, I'm changing my major to this. And their parents were like, what, why? You know, but you have to be, okay, why, why do you like that? You know, be a little, be a little understanding. Cause sometimes it, it'll sound funky. You know, a kid will go from engineering and end up saying, oh, I'm going to be an English major. You know, so it's like, what, why in the world would you change engineering for English? Like explain that, explain that to me. So, um, yeah. Or like me, change their major, then change it back. Yeah. Uh -huh. right with my but, crazy self <laughs> you just gotta, you gotta be uh just understanding that a, a kid a lot of kids man minds change so much mm -hmm. and you just have to just flow with them throughout their process and not hit them with the, oh i thought you wanted to do this i thought you wanted to do that mm -hmm. just flow with them throughout that process that knowing that a lot of kids are you know Things are going to change and your kids, like if you have multiple kids, they're going to be different just because big brother or big sister is doing this doesn't mean little brother and little sister is going to, you know, they might start off like, oh, my big brother is doing this, so I'm going to do it with them. But eventually they'll get old enough where they have their own interests and you have to right. make sure that, you know, you treat them a little bit yeah. different, right? Like towards those, you know, those interests, like don't, you know, cater like, oh, he's playing football oh, he's going to play football too. And, 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 you know, things like that, like let them, you know, find themselves in that way and just accept that changes will happen. I think, I think that's the key. Good advice. Very good advice. Um, but as a journalist, how do you, how do you keep your stories fresh? And what, this is what I mean. Mm -hmm. So you're going to go to this high school basketball game. It, the same thing's going to happen. Two teams are going to get on the court, compete. Somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to be celebrating. Somebody's going to be upset. They leave the arena. 
you go to the next thing, you covering the the, the 76ers. Right. Somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose, probably the other team. But we won't get into that. But but you know, somebody's going to lose and win. Same so it's the same thing. The swim meets you you would cover. Well, there's only going to be one person that comes in first and then second and third. How do you take some of the same information from each event but keep it fresh? A big thing for me is I tell myself that every game, you know, is the same in the way that one person will win. Like you just said, there's going to be a team or a person who wins or loses. Um, someone's going to be happy. Someone's going to be sad after the game. And there's usually going to be a big change in that game that, that leads for that to happen. But every game is also different. You know, um, every game, something different is going to happen. And, and, for me as a writer, I try to key in on those things. You know, I, you, you got to really, I feel like you can't just sit back and just watch the game and just watch the score alone and just say, oh yeah, one team was winning by a lot. Then the other team started to come back and it was a really good game because they made a really good comeback. You have to find something really special from each game that led to that. I try to pay attention to the smallest of details. Like, um, a coach on the bench may not even be the head coach. Assistant coach, while the other five players are on the court, he probably points to one player, tapping on him, tells him to watch what another player is doing. And then that player comes in the game and probably um, struggled early on in the game, does something better. So that's the thing for me. I try, to, I try to really find something unique within each game. And, and at the end of the day, I have to tell myself, now, especially in this era, people are watching the games. Like, so I'm, I can't write, just say, this is what happened at the game. Such and such scored at this time, such and such scored at this time. This team was winning, this team was losing. I'm at these games. So I have to show you what you can't see on TV, right? Like, exactly. you, see, you see what's on the court on TV. You don't see, mm -hmm. oh, how was the crowd, you know, when they went to commercial and the players were walking back to the bench. Yep. Did they boo them when they went and sit down? Or were they clapping for them? Did they give them a standing ovation? Did, you know, I really try to pay attention to those small little details. When the players were walking back to the locker room, did they throw the jersey up to the crowd? The fans, hey, let me get your jersey. And he just ignored them. Or, you know, try to pay attention to those very little details that can really put a nice story together. Yeah, that's the mark of a good, a good journalist. Somebody that can give you a perspective that's not the obvious on the surface yeah. perspective. You can, you can get the story behind the story. And that's what makes you, you know, a good writer. And um, you pay, you got to pay attention to, to detail though. You're right about that. And I'm one of those detail oriented people. So even when I tell stories, <laughs> Dennis will tell you, sometimes yeah. it takes me a longer time because I'm giving you some detail that you need to know so that right. what I'm going to say next makes sense to you or else you won't even get why that's impactful. So I get it. I get it. And that's a, that's a good quality for a great writer. I, I can just, I just anticipate you're going to have a phenomenal career. You've already had a phenomenal <laughs> career, to, especially for your age, really. And I hate to say that because I'm not, this is not age, an ageism comment, but you've already done a whole lot, a lot for a young journalist. And I just, I'm just so excited to meet you, to have this interview because I anticipate great things from you. I really do because you've got it on straight. I wanted to go into something else. I'm going to get back to the, the, the perks of being a, a journalist in a right, minute. Right. 
Okay, but I want to touch on one thing that's all the rage right now. Everybody's talking about this subject right now. The HBCU versus the PWI. You know, I'm looking at, I had to pull up the map of Tennessee because I thought I had the map in my mind, but I looked at it again. And looking at Tennessee, you're in the South. You're from Memphis. You're around Arkansas. Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, North Carolina, all these states that's a hotbed, even Tennessee of HBCUs, but yet you went to a PWI. You've got some angry black people across this nation looking at you saying, why wasn't he at an HBCU? I've got to ask that question. I'm a graduate as we talked earlier from Michigan State University. It is a PWI in the Big Ten. Um, huge school, school 45,000 students, lots of money. Uh, one of the top 25 athletic programs in the nation, Division right. I school, all that wonderful, great stuff. Yep. But it also had the number three journalism school in the country when I went there. And of course, I told you about my whole major thing. <laughs> so that's where I went. Is there a reason, was there any, like for instance, in Tennessee, the HBCU that I'm familiar with is Tennessee State, okay? Tennessee State University, I'm from Dayton, Ohio. They have the largest HBCU alumni association in Dayton, Ohio than any other alumni station, I'm sorry, alumni association in the state of Ohio. They are the number one Tennessee State University's alumni. Okay, at least they used to be. I haven't gotten the latest data, but it used they used to be number one. And I always think about Tennessee State when I think about Tennessee. Was there any type of interest in going into going to an HBCU? Was that part of your decision making? Because we're talking about how you make decisions again. Mm-hmm. And what do you say to people that give you that would give you this type of criticism? about choosing that school over, they always say you chose it over an HBCU, which I'm trying, I'm phrasing it carefully because I'm so angry about the subject. I'm about to explode myself, but I really want to hear from you and your opinion on it. Okay. Um, I think I got a, I got a, a unique, uh, answer for that because I, I had this conversation with a couple of my friends some right because actually uh when I was going through my process I did I considered uh Tennessee State very early in my process um I considered them very early in the process uh Lamorne Owen College in Memphis uh like some of my friends went there they were trying to sway me to go there to play baseball and I thought about it for a little bit you know not too long but I thought about it you know um I went on a visit to Russ College which is in uh Holly Springs Mississippi uh, North Mississippi area, so uh, about an hour from Memphis. But I went on a baseball visit there. Um, Fisk University, which is in Nashville as well, um, near Tennessee State, another HBCU. I went on a, ba- a baseball visit there. So with the HBCUs, pretty much, I was considering a, um, three or four of them in terms of uh, going to play baseball at them and whatnot. So yeah, they were part of my process, but um, To answer your question, the main thing I would say is I'm 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 big on on just my personal experience. When I went to that 
you know, PWI, the University of Tennessee, it gave me a whole new perspective on things that I'm not going to lie, I wouldn't have got at an HBCU um, in terms of that, that, you know, being around a whole bunch of people that, that didn't look like me. Growing up, I was always around, you know, a lot of Black people. That, that was nothing, you know. But, um, you know, I understand both sides of the spectrum, you know, like you go to an HBCU, like you're, you're comfortable, you're at home, like you're around, you know, you, you, um, you got what a uh, fried chicken Wednesday, you know what I'm saying? And all that good stuff. And you go to a PWI and it's none of that. And you just like, um, oh, and homecoming's a little different and things like that. So, so my answer, um, to, to the people who, who say that is I legitimately, and it's, it's personal experience. I feel like a lot of black kids, a lot of a lot of kids who grow up in the inner city who are surrounded by a lot of you know uh black people and that's all they've known pretty much growing up for the most part. I think it's it's good in a way to get that experience because uh probably 9 times out of 10 in the real world, I mean there are you know jobs where where you're going to be surrounded by predominantly mostly 80 90% uh people that look like yourself but in corporate america pretty much you're going to be the minority and um you know just getting that experience on how to how to work around those people how how they you know how they how they look at you sometimes and before you get to that work world right because in college we go through a lot of we go through a lot of those mental lapses where um you're at a PWI and and you don't look like a lot of these people and it's uncomfortable. So, so you go through a lot of that in college and it, it, I feel like it prepares you for that. So that's, that's one side of it where I say, and even um, to switch that around, I feel like a lot of uh, black kids who, who grow up, you know, in, how do I say it? In more stable, in more stable situations and, and probably got to experience a more, um, a more diverse cultural landscape growing up, I feel like they should definitely 100% go to an HBCU to, to really just reel in on that black experience and get that um, fully through. So that's like my, my short answer to it. And then as well, I would add that a lot of the PWIs are, are handing out money to us, right? So my answer to those of you is like, if you're a black kid and a lot of HBCUs aren't just handing out money to black kids just like that, so it's like, um, why would I turn down a full ride and you know go right. go get a couple loans and and you know like I had confidence in myself to you know, wherever I I went I felt like you know I could you know maximize the opportunity, but it's like UT offered me a full ride like it's not like a lot of my other options weren't HBCUs they offered me a full ride like I'd be dumb to turn that around to turn that down. And you know, not take advantage of that opportunity, and and you know, I've had this conversation actually with a lot of my friends who felt like you know I should have went to an HBCU and things like that. And I'm not, I know I know 100% if I would have went to an HBCU, I would have enjoyed college a little bit more. But my my perspective may be a little different. I didn't I didn't really go to college just to like oh this is gonna be the best four years of my life. Like I'm going to I went to college to work. Like <laughs> I took, I looked at it as a, as a four-year business trip. That was my mindset. And mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't really go there for all the, the other stuff. Um, 
I didn't, I, 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 that was just, my mindset was, look, mm-hmm. I know what I want to do pretty much. And I'm, I'm going to college to, 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 to take care of this. I feel like, and like I said, I can talk about personal experience and I know like some other people I've had these conversations with too. If I would have went to an HBCU, I probably would have been a little bit more distracted, you know? Um, going to a PWI forced me in, in, in a box in a way for a while. You know, I had my, my friends and, and I know at a lot of PWIs uh, and a lot of people, I, don't, I think they go to HBCUs probably don't even know this, but a lot of PWIs have like black hubs right like we had um we called it black ut um around homecoming time homecoming yeah. time you know um there'd be homecoming events going on and then black ut uh, uh, bring on you know a black comedian you know that that we really like or they'll you know hold these events that really cater to you know culturally what we want to experience so um we had fun stuff like that, you know. We had our uh, Black Cultural Center at, at, at UC where we could go to and things like that, um, right. as well. But as far as just the whole HBCU PWI thing, I mean, I'm all for. I mean, we we supposed to root for each other, right? You go to college, you get a degree, and you set yourself up. Like that's what it's all about. At the end of the day, thank you. I oh my goodness, I wish you lived here. I'm. A, that's that's it. What I'm gonna have to do is bring you down bring you up here it's over here i should say over because we're right next to tennessee is to bring you over here to durham i have a, a a friend um shout out to dj craze he is very involved in the durham public schools yeah. he has a position at pearson town um elementary here in durham shout out to pearson town it's a school made up of a lot of minority children i would love to have you come speak to these kids because good. He, DJ Craze arranges for adults of color to come in and speak to the children about what they do, give them hope, give them encouragement, what they need to do and talk to them about their experiences. You would be excellent for that. That's one thing. Two, I wish you were here so that I could fight this battle with you because I get talked to about this subject. I see it all the time, I hear it because Durham, North Carolina is home to North Carolina Central, right. which has the top rated law school in the nation. And it's, it's an HBCU and people do not know how top rated it is in that area, but they're also highly rated in other disciplines, but it's not talked about. And so you get all these people who went to Central still live here in Durham. They don't, they don't leave, they stay here. And so everybody around me is central graduates right and then we're an hour about an hour or so from greensboro north carolina a and t um my parents alma mater as a matter of fact what what i consider to be the greatest hbcu on the planet is uh north carolina a and t that's just how i feel about it aggie pride but so i hear hbcu all the time raleigh I'm in Durham, Raleigh is 15 minutes away, right? Then Raleigh has Shaw and St. Aug. Then you've got, you've got, we've got like, I don't know how many HBCUs just in this state alone, right? Ohio, where I'm from, we had two. And the two we had, when I went to, was, was, was choosing programs to go into, did not have my program. Right, right. So what was I supposed to do? Just pick them? 
because they were at HBCU and they didn't have what fed my soul. I'm supposed to just go there and ask my parents to spend all this money for me to go there because you say I need to support an HBCU because it's an HBCU and you're a black child. I just, I can't get with that argument. I just can't. And like you were talking about Tennessee and you all having things there for black students and so forth, at Michigan State, it was the same thing. I, I mentioned to you intentionally before I asked you this question, how many students we had when I went. It was like 40, 45 to 48,000 students. Out of that, how many black people do you think went there? A whole hell of a lot, <laughs> okay? And the size of the black population at Michigan State was larger than most HBCUs all over the country. Yep. Because they're smaller schools, they tend to be. So I had my black experience. If I got 9,000 other black people on a campus that look like me, you know, you know we're gonna have events. You know black people are coming. We're an hour from Detroit, one of the blackest cities in the nation. Mm -hmm. So we had black everything at Michigan State. And this was in the 80s. Right. This is not now, you know, after George Floyd. This was in the 80s. And the whole anti-apartheid movement, we were part of that. We had we were in touch with who we are and we had support systems in, in place for black people, not just people of color in general, black people. So when I say I got a black experience and they get offended, I don't know what to say. I, I really don't know what else to say. I can't explain it to you what I experienced because I went to the PWI. You can't explain it to me because I didn't go to an HBCU, but I feel like I did. I, I really do. It was nothing but us. Nothing but us on, in that on that campus. This is how I described it. <laughs> so yeah. I didn't I didn't feel what other people are feeling. But your perspective is great. I wanted to read a comment uh, to you from the okay. comments from our great friend, uh, Mr. Donovan Maurice Samuels. Here, he said, "I went to Morehouse. The endowment and resources are just not there compared to the PWI." I'm gonna stop right there because most people, when we're discussing this, they bring up Morehouse and Spelman as right. if they are the elite of the elite and they have all the money and they do all this stuff. But here is a, a Morehouse graduate right here telling us that that is not the case. So that's real to me. Right. And then he said, it depends on your major. Exactly what I said and what you said. Go to the college that has the best opportunity for you it doesn't matter. That's my take on it, right? And when I see, you know, people starting these endowments and funds for Black students to go to HBCUs, that's wonderful. I want to actually start one for Black people that go to a PWI. You know why? Because we don't have any. We don't, we don't get that. We don't get many, much of that. It's always directed towards that, you know, funneling us in one direction. And I am for all universities. It doesn't matter what it is mm -hmm. and whatever you want to do. I want you to go to the best and be the best, right? Right, 100%. 100%. That's, that's how that works. It's engineering, right here in, in North Carolina, if you want to be an engineer, you got a PWI and a HBCU both that have outstanding programs. You can't go wrong 
uh, with going to NC State, you can't go wrong with going to North Carolina State at A&T. Mm. Either one, mm -hmm. and you're going to get it. I know personally, my dad went there. That was his major. So, I mean, you get what I'm saying, though. But, I mean, that's a great conversation. I'm, I'm glad you're having these conversations with your friends, though, and let them know, hey, it's not like what you think it is at a PWI. All of them are not the same. It depends on your major, and also it, it depends on how large the college is. If you go to a smaller PWI, I find that you tend to get more of that thing that we want to avoid with the racism and all that than you do at a larger one. I'm not saying it doesn't happen at a larger one, but the chances are you'll experience it more at the smaller PWI than the larger ones because there's more of us there at the larger ones. Yeah, and I mean, I don't, you're gonna have to be uncomfortable at some point you know in life we can't just oh scroll. yeah that was it yeah. you were let's talk about that you were talking about how it prepared you right right from from seeing people and dealing with people not like yourself mm -hmm. right because their language is different their right. their perspective is different how they handle things and process things is different than us that's that's a true statement and did it prepare you? How well do you think that that prepared you? And do you think if you did not have that preparedness, it would have hindered you in any way now? That's a great question because I mean, that's exactly what I was just segueing into. Like if I would have went to an HBCU, this would have happened a little bit later um, for me that I'm about to say. So basically when I went to college, you know you know how you're growing up and and, and I believe it's called code switching. You know, when your mom um, is on the phone with like a bill collector and you can, you can tell the difference between mom on the phone with like a bill collector and mama on the phone with like a sister girl and, and, and all that. And it's like, right. I, I hear mom from like, oh yeah, that's, that's some, you know, that's, that's somebody important, right? And growing up, you know, you, you see that a lot. So in college, I feel like my freshman year, maybe my freshman year, I was around, you know, a lot of people that, didn't look like me and you go through some real uncomfortable feelings because they don't listen to what I listen to uh, and and we don't you know we don't have a lot of similarities just from growing up I used to like certain things I used to do growing up and they used to like going places and doing things that I've never done in my life so it's like they don't get your references exactly and they, they don't, get, don't get your references and we'll spit out a reference like nothing we'll just say something like hot butter on breakfast toast or something we'll say something like that and they'll be looking at you like what are you talking about and you then you have to say oh that's right yeah you probably exactly. don't know what song that came from <laughs> so right. you know yeah so uh -huh. basically, basically what happened for me is my freshman year i went i went through that that period where it's like like uh it was like a lot of code switching you know like just um a being accepted type thing you know and and just trying to you know no no fit in fit in, and and you know just and that wasn't that wasn't who I was right like that wasn't me growing up, and then sophomore year when I finally started to get firmly in sports journalism, started to have a bit more of an idea, and then junior year is when I really found myself in terms of like starting to realize like I'm I'm who I am you know I'm Michael Cole from Memphis Tennessee. And this is me. Like I, I, I ain't, 
I didn't grow up, you know, um, going to um, the uh, Smoky Mountains and and, and hiking and, and and doing all those things. Like I grew up um, on Saturdays uh, going to uh, cookouts, sitting around a bunch of older people, like listening to blues music, and right. you know, man, like that's that's what I grew up around. So it's like, mm-hmm. look. Um, I just had to really, you know, once I figured out who I am and you talk about how that helped me, by the time I got to my interview process for the Inquirer, I was real comfortable with, with self. You know, I was real comfortable with myself to a point, like through that process, I was like, look, um, this is who I am. This is who you're going to get. And, you know, like, <laughs> this is me unapologetically. Like, this is who you're going to get. I wouldn't have done that. Basically saying, I feel like if I would have went to an HBCU and I would have gotten a job at a place like the Enquirer, where it's a lot of white, where um, it was three black people on a sports staff that was what, 30, 30, 30 people maybe. And I would have just would have came into that and I would have had that experience a little bit later. I probably wouldn't have been myself initially and just conform to whatever they needed me to do, whatever they wanted me to do. But I had that experience in college. I was already prepared for it. And it was like, this is who I am. Like, I'm bringing, I'm bringing that Southern, that Memphis swagger that I'm not changing how I talk. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not changing how I dress. Like they used to always, you know, like, I'm not trying to lie. I'm coming to work. I'm coming to work in my J's, you know, like, this is me. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not, conforming because we have that idea that we're supposed to and it's growing up it's that way too when you get around uh a lot of um predominantly you know white white places and stuff like that um parents sometimes think you're supposed to look a certain way and and when in reality you just you you embrace embrace your culture embrace how you grew up embrace you know without being disrespectful of course but but you embrace that so it's like Well, well there's a difference between being a professional Mm-hmm. And it not embracing your culture. That's mm-hmm. two different things. You can be a professional and embrace your culture at the same time. 100%. I think sometimes people blur the lines between the two. Mm-hmm. That's oh, how I see it. Oh no, I see a lot of that. I see a lot of that too. And and sometimes mm-hmm. with us black people, it's just like you like, oh, somebody, you know, making us look bad or things like that. So you see some mm-hmm. of that, but and again, it's a lot of the good too. Like I love to see people comfortable and who I love to see black women um, wearing their natural hair on broadcast TV because now we're starting to see more of that. I love to see, uh, you know, black women with, you know, their short haircuts um, on or wearing their afros on um, sports TV and stuff like that. And it's like, that's what we, you know, that's what we're trying to bring to the table, right? Like we don't have to have to, um, you know, um, wear, wear our hair um, like they wear their hair or dress exactly how they dress because that's, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, a lot of those jobs have been mainly white people for so long. You think that's the way it's supposed to be done, but no, you, you're here because you bring something different. And we, and once we learn that, and I feel like that experience going to that PWI shaped me gave me like more confidence in my blackness because I was around a lot of people that that weren't like me so so that's how it was for me and and I know for me personally like if I would have went to HBCU I would have had that experience later I would have got to the Enquirer 
And I probably wouldn't have been as successful as successful as I was there because there would have been that conformity process that I would have went through and trying to figure out um, who I am, uh, how do I work around them um, and all those things where when I got yeah. there, it was already yeah. set in for me. You, you would have had to learn how to navigate on the fly. Right. Sort of like being baptized by fire. And right. instead you got practice runs at it when you exactly. were in college. And, exactly. and that's how I explain it to people. And I'm not saying that this works better for everyone. There are some college, you know, black college students, they really need to go to an HBCU for whatever reason, mm -hmm. for whatever their upbringing is, bringing is all of that. And I don't knock it and I love it. I love it for them. I just love young black people getting an education anywhere they can get it that feeds their soul. Wonderful. That's my thing. I don't want them to feel they have to only go here. I don't want them to be limited. I want their little heart and minds to be unlimited on what they want to do and what they can achieve because that goes hand in hand. If you limit them in telling them where they can succeed, I feel like it will limit them in their perspective on whether or not they can succeed. It'll be one more thing for them to overcome. I'm not saying that they won't succeed, Please hear me when I say that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I don't want them to have anything blocking their um, perspective on where they can go and how they can get there, right? right. I want to just be open like it was for me. I felt like I could do anything. I went to one of the top high schools in the nation. We're nationally ranked high school, right? Mm -hmm. I wasn't in the top of my class, but the mere fact that I went to that school got me into 13 colleges and universities. Yeah. The first time I applied, mm. I never was, I was not denied any college I applied, I got in. Wow. And I'm including the University of Pennsylvania, which is hard to get in. That's right? Ivy That's Ivy League, yeah. Yeah, and it's hard to get in there. I got in, but I didn't want to go there really. I did that because I just wanted to see if I would go in. But my grades weren't that great, but I knew the, the caliber of high school I went to got me in. But the bottom line, I don't want to make me labor the point. I just really wanted to get your perspective on that. So I appreciate that. I'm going to move back to what you're doing now. The name of the company that you're doing this for again, what's the name of the company? Right. And let me just ask you this general question. When you get a media pass, I, this is what I want you to talk to the students about when you come. When you get that media pass, how much power is in that media pass? What advantages do you get? Because I've had media pass, media credentials, okay? And I'll be getting that again, but I've had it. And it's a delightful experience. That's how I'm going to say it. It's a delightful experience. So talk a little bit about that really quickly. And then I have like two more questions and I'm going to turn this back over to Dennis. I, I love it. I mean, when you get that, when you get that media pass, you get that credential and you're walking around and where you almost feel like untouchable, right? Like, like I can go, you know, you can walk, you ain't got to worry about security blocking you saying, hold, hold up, where you going? So, so I like, you know, like when I'm walking in arenas, basketball arenas or football stadiums and I'm just walking right past the security, you know, I don't got to worry about them grabbing me. Or, and, and like at a basketball game, you can just scroll all around the court you know, and, 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 and I mean, it's a lot of freedom with it. When I went to, I went to a concert in Philly 
uh, this summer, like I got to be in like, like, you know, you got the whole crowd where everyone's stuck together, like everyone's tight together in the crowd. Then you got this nice spacious session where the media people are. And I'm just looking back and it's like, there's no way I'll be in that crowd jumping around with 20,000 people. Like, right. you know? so um, it's some power in it. Like it's, it's fun. Like you, you get to, you know, and every now and then it's cool. Like when they do try to stop you, like, where are you going? And you pull it up. You're like, you see this? Like, and then they're like, okay. Bam. Like, like, it's right here. You know, you get the, you know, um, that's fun. I mean, I, I love it. It, it, it give you a little sense of power. And especially, um, you know, with, with Media Passes, it's a, it's a certain level of freedom you get with certain ones. And, and you know, that's, that's the cool part about it. Like, you get to, uh, like, if you're at a football game, some people can't go down to the field. They can scroll around the stadium, but they can't go down to the field. Some people can go down to the field and in the basketball game, you know, you can scroll around. Like, I love it. It's, it's, um, it's a cool feeling. It's a, it's a real cool feeling. Then of course, you know, free food, you get free food at a lot of these events that you go to, you just show your, you know, your media pass and, and you eat good. And I mean, you can't beat it. Right. You lovely. That's lovely. And, the, and, and, and like at basketball games and, so if you get to go sit up in the sky boxes and stuff like that, right? Right, yeah, yeah. Like um, some basketball games, you can sit up in the sky box. Some you sit uh, courtside. But in football right. games, sit up in the press box. And mm -hmm. I mean, it was a game at UT my my junior year when I covered football. It was a monsoon. Like wind mm -hmm. was blowing. Wind was blowing like 20 miles an hour, probably 15, 20 miles an hour. It was raining. Like the rain was just doing this. Like. Like wow. it was, and I'm and I'm sitting in the press box and I'm like, whoo, can't imagine that. Like I'm sitting, <laughs> I, I got the AC blowing. I'm sitting on my laptop, <laughs> just typing away, talking about, oh, these people are getting up and putting on their raincoats, and this section got umbrellas, and I'm just sitting typing away inside. So you know, it's when you sitting there dry I'm with a laptop. Right. <laughs> it's a it's a cool feeling. That's cool. That that's what's up. That's what's up. It is fun. And then they know your name. So they start learning your name. They say, oh, you come sharing, you know, have a seat. Got a seat just for you and all that type of stuff. Love it. So um, where do you plan? What do you see yourself in about five years or 10 years? Where do you see yourself? Yeah, let me, let me, I'm about to switch devices real quick. So it doesn't go out like while I'm talking or something. So, okay. Let me switch. I'm going to switch devices. My screen probably will look different. Let's see. I'm gonna... All right, Dennis, make sure you let them in. Yeah. Okay. Dennis, I don't think he hears me. Make sure you let him in because he's switching devices. He's switching devices. So make sure you look. Yeah. Okay. There we go. All I right. see you coming in there. Okay. 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 You have to you have to cut off the other one or else it'll echo. There we go. There we go. Awesome. So in five okay. to ten five and five to ten years, what do you see yourself? Five to ten years. Uh right now, I would say that the, the next step for me is is um becoming a national NBA writer. And, you know, 
that's that's lofty goals, of course, especially, you know, five years. I, I, I'd only be 30. So, you know, that's that's pretty lofty goals. But um, but that's that's where I want to that's where I want to go. You know, um, I'm hoping that, you know, this opportunity opens some doors for for me to to become a national writer at, um, you know, some of those uh, places, uh, you know, like a CBS Sports or a, a, a ESPN or NBA TV or a TNT or um turner sports or, or one of those places so um that's the next goal for me i mean i i want you know i'm going to enjoy this process you know i'm because i'm real happy to be in memphis and actually you know get to cover the nba and cover one team and and focus on that but but that's the next step i do i do want to um become a national writer at some point that's awesome awesome and let me ask you let me I gotta ask this. I gotta ask this question. Um, what was it like meeting Stephen A. Smith? I gotta know. Well, when 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 I met him, um, it was it was through like Zoom. So, right. so it was it was it was dope. You know, he was he's actually was a little more chill than you know you see on uh, TV all the time. Talked about his experience a lot. You know. Uh, going to college, working hard, you know, right? Like uh, talking about eating, you know, like tuna sandwiches and, and and stuff like that in college while working, barely making money, you know, trying to get by. Just a real grind story. So he he, he really takes you through that grind story and just what's it take to get here. But uh, real real dope dude. Seems like real real dope dude for real. Like he uh, definitely down to earth. But um, but yeah, he he actually used to work at the Enquirer too. So yeah. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, so oh, yeah. so yeah, he's fact, uh, he's who I think about whenever I hear Philadelphia Inquirer. I automatically think about him every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. every exactly. time. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And you you met you got an opportunity to meet Mike Wilbon as well. Uh, through Zoom, through Zoom. Yep, yeah. Mike right. Wilbon. Uh, he seems to be kind of he's really chill. I really real like chill, him real, a lot. Real chill. Smart. I'm trying to think. Of, yeah, I'm mm -hmm. trying to think of all the people I've met in person. But it's like, it's a lot. So it's like none, no names are just popping in my head. Um, I've met, um, he, he went to Northwestern, J.L. Dunday, ESPN guy. Oh, uh, yeah, J.L. Dunday, yeah, okay, J yeah. I met, I met J.L. Dunday before in person. Um, mm -hmm. Real cool, gave me some real good advice. I was a senior, senior in college. And, uh, I was at NBA All-Star Weekend when I met him. And I've met a lot of writers, you know, a lot of a lot of writers um, and a lot of writers have reached out to me, too, especially when I got the NBA job. I mean, it was man, the people I heard from just in terms of big time NBA writers, you think wouldn't even you know care about some kid, you know, entering the business like reaching out to me, offering advice or, you know, a help hand, you know, if you need you need me and um, things like that. So, so yeah, I want to see you. I want to see you on a Jalen and Jacoby show. Jaylen I could see you on that show being interviewed by Jalen Rose and David Jacoby. That would be wonderful. No, nah, that see would you on that, that show with them. That would be dope. That would be real yeah. fun. That would that would be real fun for sure. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I Jalen Rose has become one of my favorites. Jamel Hill is still one of my favorites. Of course, she's a Spartan as well. So shout out to yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, get boost. Yeah, that's, she that's get my girl. Yeah. Love her. And uh, so, yeah, so this is my last, this is my last thing that I always end, end with when I do interviews mm -hmm. um, with my 
with my co-host here, Dennis Holmes on the side, John. We thank everybody for listening and being here with us on the side, John. What I always like to end with is what I call my five-star shout outs, right? And what that is, is I'm gonna shoot out five questions to you. I want you to answer like one quick answer, no commentary, just hit, hit me with the answer, okay? You Let's ready? do it. You sure you ready? I'm, I'm, I'm ready, let's go. <laughs> All right, first question. Jordan or LeBron? LeBron. Drums or flats? Flats. You rather phone or text? Phone. When you go on vacation, you go to the mountains or the beach? Beach. Last one, and this one is very important. Very important. Rihanna or Beyonce? Beyonce. All right. <laughs> All right. I'll give you four out of five. <laughs> uh oh, I think I know. I think I know which one you won't give me. I'm not saying. I'm not saying. <laughs> I, I, I think I know. It's, it's all good, though. It's all yeah, good. you know, you know, we we already talked about that, I think. But um, <laughs> that's my shout out. And I'm going I'm to give this back to my illustrious co-host, the Ignorant Thinker podcast himself, Dennis Holmes. Thank to you. Continue Thank, on. you. Thank you. Uh, being the fact that you uh, asked him that question. A lot of people don't notice about him, but he is a very big sneakerhead. A very big sneakerhead. Like he got he got to have his sneakers. Now I need to know uh what's your favorites, you know, your favorite sneaks. Whoo. Um my favorite sneaks. Man, hold up. Right now it might be these. No, not them, not not them ones. Let me see. Not them yellow right. ones. Right now, it might be the Lightning Fours, right? Okay. I love those. Those are beautiful. These might be my favorite right now. Uh, these are my favorite drops this year for sure. Uh, I did get the uh, the cool gray 11s that everybody was talking about last week. So I got the, right. they sitting, they sitting right over there too. Um, but I'm a 12s guy, and I'm and I'm really I'm not I'm not uh, you know overly like with all the colors and stuff I, I i like the colors i like uh like the the um the flu game 12s uh red and black 12s okay. they're probably up there with some of my favorites uh i like the taxi 12s they were they were like i think my first real pair of jordans like black and white with um like the little taxi uh spots on them um i like those and of course, you you gotta like the ones and and you know the ones. Of course, you know Jordan wore those like since the '80s, and then um, the 11s are, are are popular. Like the breads, I like the breads, red, black, and white bread. So um, yeah. yeah, I okay. love them. That's now that's cool. That's cool. Now you actually had a, a part in the Enquirer where you were doing a sneaker coach. Yep. And uh, shout out to shout out to Matt from Outer League Sports, my my family. Out yep. Sports and Mac, you know, he got over 200 pairs of sneakers. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I, you you had something going there. Uh, will you continue that while you in Memphis or how would that go? I'm gonna I'm gonna incorporate it into my coverage probably uh as much as any writer 
uh, in the NBA. So I plan on, you know, uh, doing a lot of that, you know, just with the players. Um, it'll be a little bit different, but but I'm definitely, because it probably wouldn't be like as community oriented, like telling the stories, just the people in the community is probably going to be more team oriented with the Grizzlies. But, uh, but yeah, I'm going to do a lot of that for sure. That's good to hear. Now, people going to Memphis and they want to know good places to eat at. Where would you send them to? <laughs> um, well, you know, when you Google, when you hit the Google, because you know I'm big on that, because Google tell you one thing, then it's one is it's different when you you know you talk to some people that's really from there. Uh, of course, you think of the barbecue spots, right? Right. So, so and, mm-hmm. and you know, our you know those those um them ribs, you know, in Memphis, Memphis ribs hit different, right? You definitely got a couple spots. Um, I like Corky's uh real. I like Cor- Corky's barbecue spot in Memphis. Uh I'm a big tops barbecue person. I know a lot of people that like uh Central's barbecue. Uh Rendezvous is a big spot where you know that's gonna be the top barbecue spot that'll pop up if you Google Memphis barbecue spot. That's a spot that like when a lot of the college kids, I mean high school kids come for official visits, they go down to rendezvous to eat and get some real good barbecue. A lot of the celebrities come here and go there. So Rendezvous is a big, big spot and it's it's real good. Um, but Memphis wings are underrated now. Like Atlanta gets all the love in the South um, with wings because you know they're lemon pepper favorite, but Memphis has a specialty sauce too. Honey gold sauce. Gold sauce, yes. <laughs> and, it's delicious. And it's, it's nothing like it. It's, it's good, but I, I was telling I was telling my cousin. Can't beat that Carolina though. I knew you was Carolina. I knew you were gonna hit that. Cause because Carolina got good barbecue too, and they throw that gold sauce on it, you know. But that Memphis honey gold, and then you you mix it, you you mix it with the hot sauce in Memphis, you get some honey hot. It's special. And Memphis, Memphis has wing spots right. like they have wing spots like they have barbecue spots. Um yeah. Spots are almost, you know, you got a, a bunch of specialties places. I'll say Crumpy's Wings is my favorite. Um, there's a spot called Ting's Wings, which is probably three miles from University of Memphis campus. And Ting's Wings is a big spot. Like Derrick Rose, you went there a lot when he came to college here. A lot of the former U of M players used to go there. Um, that's another big spot. So Ching's Wings, Crumpy's Wings will be my wing selections. Make sure you, you don't go there and just get regular sauces. You got to go, you know, and get the Memphis flavor. You got to get Honey Hot. You got to get Honey Gold or um, something like that. And you really get that Memphis feel to it. You said uh, the guy said Gus Chicken good for real, for real. Gus Chicken? Gus Chicken is elite. And, I, you know, when, when, when I meet a lot of people uh, down here, we go to Gus. You know, like a lot of people come to Memphis and they, hey, where, where we should go? And I say, come on, let's, you know, let's go to Gus Chicken because that's that real Southern fried chicken. Um, when you think of Southern fried chicken, Gus is like, that's a prime spot. Yeah, they kept, when I was down there, they kept trying to feed me that, that uh, catfish. I ain't yep. want no catfish. I ain't want no catfish. <laughs> another one now, you you go hit, hit some of those soul food spots and, and you get some of that food that puts you to sleep 20 minutes after you eat it. Yeah. <laughs> I just think I ain't want no catfish. I just was like, no, nah, I ain't want no catfish. I seen, <laughs> I seen y'all on. river. I seen y'all river look like chocolate milk. I was like, I don't want no catfish. <laughs> 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 That's what it was, man. I ain't gonna lie. I seen that river. I said, ah, 
I don't want no catfish. I'm cool. I hear you, man. I, yeah, I definitely think it's for that barbecue. You don't have to come pick me up, Dennis, and take me to take me with you to Memphis next time. Next time I'm going to Memphis, I'm going. I'm probably go back to the Island Irish Classic. Come on. And my cousin come kept telling me. me he was like, he was like, you was in Memphis in May, and you ain't get the barbecue. I said I ate barbecue, but I didn't stay there for the big barbecue weekend. I didn't yeah. stay there for that. Yeah, that's that's a big thing. Yeah, that's what he was telling me. He was like, you got to get the gold sauce. I said, man, you sound like the cop. When I asked him where to go eat at, he said, go get the gold sauce. Everybody kept saying, get the gold sauce. Mm-hmm. You got to say honey, that honey gold sauce, man, it's it's different. It's special. Yeah. It, it was good, though. I'm not going to lie. It was good. I had a great time. Um, again, I want to thank you for coming on, man. I know you're a busy guy. Got things to do. You, you are covering the Memphis Grizzlies, who I uh, – I got a love for John Morant, but I found a newfound love for uh, Dylan Brooks. Yeah. I want to say last season. I had a newfound yeah. love for Dylan Brooks last season. Yeah, he loved and I always, Dylan Brooks. And I always liked slow-mo. Um, slow-mo. Slow-mo always had a swag to him, but he literally is slow-mo. Like, everything he do, patience, time. Is, and uh, Jaron Jack is playing pretty good this season right now. So, mm-hmm. I think they got the pieces that they need. I think Stephen Adams playing, was they're good playing, for them. They're playing great team ball. Exactly. Really great team ball. It's good for mm-hmm. them with the rebounds. Right. Mm-hmm. I like I like this team, man. I, I really do. It's it's going to be fun to chronicle this journey as they get back, you know, um, you know, second season in a row, they'll probably make the playoffs. And, and now, you know, first round last year, so I'm sure they'll have bigger goals this year. And it'll be fun just to – They'll be more competitive this year. It'll be fun just to, to to take people, you know, through that journey. And then, you know, being from here, I think we can tell some really cool stories um, just about how, how these players are to the city. Yeah. He said, he said Kyle Anderson with the UCLA. I hear you, Donovan. I definitely yep, hear yep. you. Um, yeah, as we end this interview, uh, you know, I, I met you through Outer League Sports. Shout out to them. And um, I'm glad that you were down here in Philadelphia doing the Philadelphia Inquirer. Wish you could have stayed some more years because I know we would have we would have bumped in and did some more things differently. Um, the time I spent in Memphis, I want to thank you for that because, like I told you, I was nervous about little, just little dumb stuff. Nothing major, little dumb stuff. Yeah. Wasn't worried about getting robbed. Wasn't worried about, you know, something happens to me, me going to jail. No, none of that. Just I lose my luggage or this happened or that happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? I might not make it somewhere on time. You know, yeah, that was a little stuff I was just worried about. But you know what? Uh, I thank you for your hospitality and everything. And I had a great time in Memphis. That was that was one of my uh, first joints. And I always tell everybody the story. Like when, when I went there the first day on Saturday, you know, I had to make sure I paid for my media pass. I go there with you on Sunday. We just walk right through. Ain't nobody asks yep. us nothing. I, yep. said, I, I said, I'm with the right superstar today because I, I just walk right through. I ain't, Anybody ask us for nothing? You know what I mean? <laughs> I walk, I walk through with him, Sharon. We walk right through. We sit down. We interview the people we want to interview. Next thing you know, we watching the game. A stripper comes sitting next to me. I said, "Damn, he should have been here." Oh, yesterday. that's when. Okay, and, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, damn, Philly DMC should have been here yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, that that, that was oh, my experience. Yeah. T- now, could you tell everybody where they could find you so they can read your articles and um, yeah. see you on things? Yeah, right now, uh, you can 
you see my name is is uh you know DeMichael Cole. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at DeMichael Cole. I have a Facebook uh business page now. It's called DeMichael with a dash Ice Cold Sports. Ice and then Cole, my last name C O L E Sports. Uh, that's where on Facebook I'm gonna post uh all my Grizzly stories. My first story is gonna be Monday. Um, so. Oh, be, be on the lookout for that. My first story will be Monday. And I'm going to post all my stories there. I'm going to post, um, you know, update, team updates, breaking news things, all of that, as well as my Twitter at DeMichael, my name, C. Um, I post a lot more. Twitter, I'll probably post first. And then I'll come to Facebook after that because uh, Twitter is where everyone breaks their news. So I have to, you know, got to be quick on my feet on Twitter. Then I'll come to Facebook after that. So but basically, those are the places. Um, and um, email DeMichael Cole, just my name, at gmail.com until I get my commercial appeal uh, email set up uh, next week. So, so yeah, that's where that's where you can find me. Uh, man, I, I, I respond. I get back to everybody. And, uh, I'm always interested, you know, people's uh, ideas, story ideas, thoughts. Um, you know, I try to bring something different to the table. You know, I, I ask people for all their type of, weird um out the box ideas because some of them like nah that's way too out the box but some of them, it's like oh look we might can do something with this that's never been done you know i'm open to that so uh yeah that's how you find me and that's how you keep up with my work uh especially for facebook users uh demichael with a dash ice cold sports that's it that's cool i'm definitely gonna be i put the you. link to that facebook in the comments and okay. his twitter name in the comments as well Thank yeah. you. Thank and on and on Twitter, you got a blue check. He's the first yep. blue check we ever had on the show. <laughs> He's the first blue check we had on the show. On Twitter, he has a blue check. Blue got check. a blue check on the show. We moving yep. on up. Right. <laughs> moving on up. Yeah, yep. mm -hmm. yeah. But um, this has been a great interview. And again, I want to thank you, Sharon. Do you have any last words? Um. Yes, I do. First of all, thank you again for coming on, DeMichael. I'm very excited, as I said earlier, to see where you go from here. Um, you really have me wanting to come to Memphis, just you just talking to you. I've never really wanted to go to Memphis for any reason. Now I want to go to Memphis <laughs> just to see it, you know, and, and, and taste some of that barbecue. I have had to go soft because somebody brought me some from Memphis. Mm -hmm. But I want to have tasted fresh, you know. Yeah. Not after traveling ten hours, because y'all are ten hours away from us. There you, you know, go. Takes, I can get to Philly quicker than I can get to Memphis. That's it's really mm -hmm. weird how this is set up. But um, thank you so much for coming on. I wish you all the best in all of your endeavors. Um, very good advice, not only for young people but for us single mamas and everybody else. Um, you're a very thoughtful young man and I love it. I love how you do things and how you carry yourself. I'm very impressed. Um, I'm gonna make sure I follow you and continue to follow you. As a writer myself, I will be inboxing you, hitting you up about some things. Because yeah. as again, again, no matter what your age is, I feel like you can always learn from, from anybody. You can learn something yeah. yes. and help each other and all that. And so that's important as well. Um, the last thing I'm going to uh, leave people with, I try to leave on a positive note. And the positive note I'm leaving with today is just be sure that you never give up. And when I say just be sure, 
you can you can you can question you can doubt you can say i'm not sure i can really do this but the one thing you cannot do is you can never give up my parents both taught us that and told us and, and raised us you never give up if it's something you really want never give up just keep fighting you know you're i can tell you persevere you're a very determined young man you know how to persevere through challenging situations and that's great and i i anticipate that you're going to do a lot of great things a lot of I, great things nobody's gonna hold you down i just see you just like conquering stuff like <laughs> walking busting up in the room boom with the jordans on like what i'm here and you're gonna answer my questions I'm gonna get the story and you're gonna read about it and like it. I mean, I like that's it. just how I feel right now. So that's my message to everybody out there. Never give up. Just like the Michael never gave up. Don't ever give up. That's my final words, Dennis. Uh, listen, I want to thank all the new listeners out there. You know, uh, make sure y'all go and click the, the, the subscribe button, the subscribe to the Anything Thinker podcast on Facebook. Instagram, uh, YouTube, Twitter, um, we're LinkedIn, mostly your so TikTok. We're on most of your social media. So, and also make and, sure that you join go it. join the side John group and make sure you join the side John Facebook group and turn all your notifications on. So you'll know each and every Saturday morning you can listen to us because we have more interviews to come and uh, we got more great things that's going. Also, if you wanted to hear this show and you missed it, you wanted to hear it, you can also listen to this on uh, Apple iTunes, Google, Spotify, uh, and all, all other platforms that are you listen to for podcasting. Uh, it's under the Ignite Thinker podcast. Uh, it should be up within the next two hours. So I want to thank you all very much for that. And for my final words, uh, the one thing that I learned out of all of this today is to never, uh, never stop working hard and always keep your connections available. You never know who you're going to bump into. You know what yeah, I mean? I met the Michael Cole from Outer League Sports. I met Outer League Sports working at Walmart, and he just seen me. Uh, he seen me working at Walmart and said, oh, you ain't going to think of podcasts. And from there, we click. And then that's how I met the Michael Cole. And like I said, you never know who you're going to bump into and what's going to happen. So always keep your communications open and keep working hard and doing what you're doing. And, you know, this is this is the network where you have to use your network. That's how it goes. Thank you all for listening. God bless. Great day.